a heartbreaking story that makes anybody interested in true crime mad is finally coming to an end. The authorities just released a name for the boy in the box. This was a cold case from 1957. We had a body and some gruesome theories, but we didn't have a name, making it almost impossible to find the people responsible until now. The boy in the box is coming to a close. It's now only a matter of time before this unsolved mystery finally sees its end. Hey guys, and welcome to my podcast. I'm your host, Lulu, and it's great to talk to everybody again. I am so excited to start our seven days of Christmas and crime tomorrow. I can't wait. I still haven't, don't have everything written. Don't come at me. I, I'm pretty sure I can finish it, but I'll keep you updated through the seven days of Christmas and crime. Um, I've got no updates for you. It's still been a very busy, you know, end of the year. I'm excited for a small break from the podcast, but I'm also excited to start 2023 and to stop with all of the busyness. Anyways, like I said, nothing new, no updates, nothing like that. Um, it is freezing in my shed. It is 11 degrees outside right now and the middle of the night and my shed, I have to have my heater off when I record because otherwise you can hear it. And it's probably close to like 50 degrees in here right now. It's it's not a good time. But I'm here and we're going to talk about a case that is, I'm so like, it makes me mad. It makes me sad and it makes me happy. And I'm excited to talk to you about the boy in the box. This case I heard early, early on in my true crime endeavors. It's not the first case that I heard. Um but it is one of the first ones that sent me into a spiral to a point where I literally used to go through the missing persons database and the John Doe database. And I used to look for photos of boys that look like they could be him. And I like, I literally scrolled through thousands and thousands and thousands of pages through my searches and hoping to help find the boy in the box. None of that obviously helped. Um, but you guys, I saw, Ray actually sent me a video that announced that they had a name and it it was amazing. This boy deserves his name. Anyways, before I get too much into it, let's just start from the beginning. If you haven't heard about the boy in the box, I'm about to share, you know, a story that probably is going to make you bad. It does talk about children. Um, it is a child that was murdered. There's not a ton of gruesome information in this story, but if you can't listen to children getting, you know, beaten and murdered and whatever, then this is not the story for you. And that's okay because we start seven days of Christmas in crime tomorrow and you can just tune in then. But that's the only warning that I'm going to give you. This is about a little boy, so strap in. I am also going to refer to him as the boy in the box through most of the episode. This is because this was his identity for a very, very, very long time. And I'm going to kind of try to cover this in the authority's point of view. 
so we will talk about his name at the end. They would find this body on February 25th, 1957, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A younger man had illegally set up some muskrat traps one day, and he was out checking all of them to see if he caught anything. Instead of finding anything in these traps, though, he found a cardboard box on the side of the road. Curiosity got the best of him, and he opened it and looked inside. He would find the body of a very young-looking boy. Now, this scared this guy, this kid. And this began an internal battle. Does he go to the police, and does he tell them about the body? Because this would risk all of his muskrat traps getting confiscated, and he was technically trespassing. Or does he forget he saw it and just wait for somebody else to find the boy? He decided to sit on this, battling himself and not going to the police right away. He really probably wanted to pretend like he didn't see anything and just move on with his life. And this is where the boy would sit for a couple more days, alone and rotting away in this box. A few days later, a college student would watch a rabbit run into that same area and that college student knew there were traps in that area. He decided to follow the rabbit into the fields and look for it. Now I'm unsure if this college student wanted to keep the rabbit for themselves or if they wanted to free the rabbit. Either way, they didn't come across a rabbit in a trap. They came across a cardboard box on the side of the road. Curiosity also got the best of this college student and they looked inside and met the body of a young boy. He was also cautious about going to police. He was also trespassing and he didn't want them to think that the traps were his. And he just thought about this little boy sitting there waiting for somebody to help him. He was clearly dead, but that didn't mean that he still didn't need help. But he didn't go to the police right away. A day after he saw the body, he heard that somebody had disappeared in the area, a little girl. And then he got nervous. That maybe he had found that little girl. This was the tipping point. He knew he had to go to the police, and he did. He went straight there and informed them of the body, why he was out there, and what they had saw. The police quickly arrived at the scene and they closed it off, investigating this claim. Now they too found the cardboard box. This was a cardboard box that once held a baby bassinet. But instead of a baby bassinet, there was a very young body inside. This was not the person who had previously gone missing. They did think that it could have been her though. This was a little girl named Mary Jane Barker. She was four years old. But the body in the box was a boy so it couldn't be Mary. So who could this boy be? At first, they of course didn't know. He looked like he was somewhere between four and six years old. He had blonde hair and blue eyes. This blonde hair had been very badly cut off, and it was very clear that somebody cut it off in a rush. The body of this small boy was very malnourished. He was starving to death before he had died. Not only that, but his entire body was covered in bruises and beat marks. He was scratched and scars. Some of these scars, though, seemed to be from surgery 
which is interesting. A lot of children who are being subjected to abuse, especially a lot of abuse, will oftentimes not be taken in for surgery because they don't want doctors or authorities to see the bruises and to put two and two together and because they don't really care. He also seemed like he was once pretty well taken care of. His body was washed and his fingernails were cut. Now this boy's body was naked and all he was wrapped in was a single fleece blanket. The authorities began thinking, was it possible that this boy had been kidnapped, beaten, and murdered? Or was the cleaned body and short nails, because the people responsible for beating and murdering him, wanted to hide any evidence that could have been there? They leaned more towards the body being washed and hair cut after death. Meaning, it was to hide evidence, not to take care of this little boy. A reason for this idea was because there was clumps of hair that were cut and sticking to the body. These clumps of hair had long strands of the boy's long blonde hair, which meant he had very long blonde hair that had been cut off and cut short. They took the body back to the lab and got his fingerprints. Of course, they always hope any lead's going to lead them somewhere, but this led them nowhere. Using the fingerprints of somebody wasn't really reliable until 1986, meaning that they did have these fingerprints, but this boy would have to have been in the system for them to be able to use it. And since it was the body of a young boy, he had nothing in the system. I know what else you're thinking. DNA. In 1985, that was the first time DNA was used from a body in a court case. Meaning, yes, they could track DNA, but because this boy was so young, he did not have DNA in the system, and it would not point them to anybody. I don't think a lot of you guys realize how new DNA testing and DNA tracking is. Because it was 2002 when the United Kingdom would use the first DNA familial testing. This meant that they could pull DNA results from relatives and follow the family line down to track down criminals or missing people. But this didn't start until 2002. So all they had was a little badly beaten boy and his fingerprints and no answers. They did find that he had wrinkles on his hands and feet, suggesting that he had been laying in water after he died, which is one reason that they believe that his body was washed after death. Those scarring we talked about earlier, one of the specific scarrings that they saw was where they believed he had once had a hernia fixed. They also shined ultraviolet lights in his eyes, and they would shine a bright blue color, leading them to believe that his eyes had recently been treated for an eye disease before he died. All of these things point to the fact that the boy was taken care of, so why was he badly beaten, starved, and in a box? And then they noted the head trauma. This head trauma did look like blunt force trauma. And they do believe that that's more likely what it is. But it could have also been from somebody squeezing 
the little head of this boy so hard it killed him. They combed the area. They had over 270 authorities looking through the scene trying to find anything. They found a couple things. A man's blue hat, a scarf, a white handkerchief with the letter G on it. But that was it. When they tried to follow these, they led them nowhere at all. All they could rely on now was people coming forwards and telling them who this boy was when they saw this boy or really any information about this boy in the box. But nobody came forwards. They would print off over 400,000 flyers that explained the boy in the box, would send them out with every gas bill in Philadelphia in an attempt to get some sort of lead. But this got them nowhere. So finally, they resorted in propping the dead body up dressing him to look mostly alive, and took photos of him in hopes that somebody would see and recognize this little boy. But even though they sent these photos out, this got them nowhere, and the case fell cold. They worked tirelessly over the years, but they got nowhere. In 2016, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children would decide to create a forensic facial reconstruction of what he would have looked like. They attached this to his database and to his case, but that didn't even help. They also made a version of him with long blonde hair because they believed that that's what he had, but nobody came forwards. Nobody knew who the boy in the box was or nobody cared. There were multiple theories at this point. Most of these have been discounted by police officers, but there have been a couple that have stuck around. One of the bigger ones was how he must have come from a foster home. The particular foster home that was in this story was only a mile and a half away from where the body was found. One reason that they believe he came here was because there was a worker at the medical examiner's office who was literally obsessed with his case. They decided to reach out and pay a psychic for help. The psychic would inform him that he needed to look into the foster home system and that the boy had come from there. This worker decided to listen to the psychic and would go to the foster home when they were having a sale. Now, it was common knowledge that the boy was found in a bassinet box, and the man who was there looking around saw a bassinet that looked to be the same one was in this foster home. On top of that, he found a ton of blankets hanging from a clothesline out to dry that looked very eerily similar to the blanket that was found with the boy in the box. This man came up with his own theory. He came up with the theory that the owner of the foster home had a daughter and that she had fallen pregnant. Now, she didn't want this baby and neither did the grandpa. They also didn't want people to know that she had fallen pregnant and had had a baby. So, when they could, they disposed of this child. What I think is interesting about this theory, though, is that the boy would have had to live four to six years before they murdered him. I feel like if somebody fell pregnant and they wanted to get rid of the baby, they would have gotten rid of it as soon as the baby 
came out, they wouldn't have waited four to six years. I feel like the child was too old to really be, you know, a baby that somebody didn't want. But that's just my opinion. He did go to the police though, told them about the bassinet there and the blankets, and they did show up and interview people at this foster home. But this got them nowhere. They decided to count all of the children there to make sure that he wasn't missing from the foster home, and every single child was accounted for. This led the police to discount the theory. But interestingly enough, later down the line, this foster home was investigated into again, and it was closed. Now let's backpedal a little bit and talk about those bassinets again. These bassinets weren't super popular that the boy was found in. They were able to confirm that a dozen were sold in the area. They tracked it down to one singular store that sold these bassinets. You guys, they were getting somewhere. But the store didn't keep any receipts of any of their sales meaning they had no idea who they sold these bassinets to. But the authorities knew that they had to track down these 12 bassinets. It is very likely if they tracked down them that they would find somebody who is missing a little boy. The authorities were able to find 11 of the 12 bassinets and they were able to prove that none of these 11 people were involved or missing a little boy but they were never ever able to track down the last bassinet. Another theory, one that is very, very interesting to me, is that of Martha. Martha had come forward one day with a crazy story. She told the authorities that her mother had bought a child from his parents in the summer of 1954. Her mother was a very abusive woman and would begin to abuse this child as soon as he entered their home, both physically and sexually, for about two years, which would have put this time frame at 1956. Then finally, this little boy would get sick one day and the mother would be forcing him to eat food. He, in turn, would throw up his food all over the kitchen table and it would enrage the mother. Now, this meal Martha remembered was baked beans. Remember that. The mother would get up and begin to beat the child in rage over and over and over again. She was slamming his head into the floor as a form of punishment until he was just on the verge of consciousness. Then she stopped. Now he was covered in vomit and blood and, and bruises and all sorts of terrible things. So she threw him in the bathtub to wash him off. While in the bathtub, this little boy would succumb to the abuse wounds and he would die. Once he was dead, Martha remembers her mother cutting his very long blonde hair off and throwing it away. Once she was done with this, she would force Martha to assist her in disposing of the body of the boy. They would take him to the area that he was later found in. Now, when they were there, they would find a spot and park. It was quiet and begin to remove the body from the vehicle. Then Martha told the police that she remembers somebody had stopped and offered to help them load the box into their vehicle. 
Martha was instructed by her mother that if anybody showed up, she was to stand in front of the license plate of the vehicle and stay there until the mother took care of it. And that's what Martha did. She stood in front of the license plate and the mother would insist that they were okay and send the driver on their way. What's interesting about this story is that parts of this matched untold information to the public. Obviously, we know this now, but before, the public did not know that the boy in the box was found to have baked beans in his stomach. And nobody knew that the boy in the box's fingers were wrinkled, like he was submerged in water. The fact that he had been washed before death was not known to the public. On top of this, a witness came forward and informed the police that they had seen a woman and a child, either discarding of a box or loading one up, in 1957. Now, if you remember, Martha remembers all this happening and ending in 1956. That's really only a year. And if this happened when she was young, it's possible she's getting her years mixed up. They thought that this could be it. They looked into it a little more. They even found out that the neighbors that lived there next to Martha and her mother confirmed that a little boy with long blonde hair lived with them for a brief period of time, but they were unable to verify her story. And Martha had some mental health disorders, which meant they could not prove if she was being truthful or not. So this is just a theory. One of the lesser theories, the lesser liked theory, was that the boy in the box was raised as a girl. One reason for this theory in particular was because the boy's hair was so long and it had been cut. The boy also had very nicely styled eyebrows and the nails were trimmed. It didn't necessarily seem like somebody trimmed the nails before discarding because they looked nicely trimmed, not quickly trimmed. But that was all they had. Theories, stories, ideas, and a boy that they buried in a plot of land with no name. Until a few weeks ago. On December 8th, 2022, 65 years after this little body was found, they had a name. The police had tried multiple times to exhume the body of the boy and to pull some DNA from him. Every single time though, because the body was so broke down and just dead, the DNA they pulled from his body was never enough to test but they pulled a tooth and they got almost a full sample. They plugged it into their system and they waited. In 2017, a man had purchased a DNA test for his girlfriend as a Christmas gift. This relationship ended before Christmas came and the DNA test was still sitting at his house. Now, since he spent the money on it, he might as well use it. He got some interesting things about it, learned a little bit about himself, and just kind of moved on. Forget about it and move on. Until one day, he got a very weird phone call. The woman would identify herself as Misty Gills. She would inform this man that she was a forensic genealogist 
and that his DNA matched a cold case in Philadelphia, but she didn't tell him which cold case. She said the DNA they pulled came from a body that they had exhumed, and it was just not quite a full sample. They needed a little bit more DNA from the family to confirm or deny that this cold case was somebody in their family. He would call his mom, explain to her what the phone call was and ask if she was okay with it, to which she agreed. His mom would give her sample back and she was directly related to the boy in the box. They began following the line down until they found who they believed to be the birth mother and the birth father of the boy in the box. Both of them were dead and they were able to exhume them and take DNA. And they confirmed that they were related. This was the parents of the boy in the box. So they pulled birth records, checked off the ones that had lived and died, and they were left with only one. They had found the boy in the box. They wanted to tell the public. They announced it at the 1st of December that they were going to hold a press conference later in the week and inform us of his name, but they had his name. And then on the 8th, they did. They finally gave the boy in the box his name back. Joseph Augustus Zarelli. Born on January 13th, 1953. They also informed us that they still believe that he was killed by blunt force trauma. They now have ideas and their suspicions on who killed Joseph. And it's only a matter of time before they confirm it. And Joseph's case is finally closed. It's possible they know who did it now, and it's possible that they don't. Could it be possible that it was just an accident, or is that hopeful thinking? This poor little boy was four years old when he was badly beaten, bruised, murdered, and left naked in a box with only a blanket to keep him warm. He is finally getting his justice. The boy in the box has his name back. Joseph Augustus Zarelli. I can't wait to get your case finally closed. There may be false or misleading information throughout this podcast. All facts have been researched to the best of my abilities, but accidents do happen. If this is a story you are interested in knowing more about, I highly recommend doing your own research. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.